Welcome to GEMCAST, the Geriatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, where we discuss important topics in the care of older patients in the emergency department. I'm your host, Christina Shenby. GEMCAST is produced with the Geriatric ED Collaborative. You can find more episodes on any podcasting app, and you can find the show notes on the resources page of gedcollaborative.com. Welcome back to GEMCAST. Today I have a guest and we are going to be talking about a new area that we have never talked on before. So I have with me Dr. Katie Buck. She is an assistant professor and director of geriatric emergency care at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Katie, welcome to GEMCAST. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. And Katie is an expert in the area of pneumonia in older patients. She's done a number of research studies and recently got her first independent K award and is going to be doing even more research in this area. And I was interested when I found out about your research and about what you're doing, because I kind of thought, well, wait a second, what is the problem that we're fixing? What is the problem? And, and this just goes to show our own blind spots and the areas that we need to grow here, because I kind of thought, isn't it just, they have a cough and you get a chest x-ray or you check in these, in this day and age, you check for COVID or flu. So what is it that we are missing that drove you to be interested in doing so much research in this area? Oh, that's a great question. I could talk about this for days. So in older adults, they pose a lot of challenges that just make figuring out what's going on really hard. And pneumonia is no exception. Older adults in particular, they come in with atypical symptoms. The thing that we're all taught in residency and medical school is chest pain. The little old lady who comes in and says, I don't feel well. And you get their EKG and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, but you sure you don't have chest pain? She's like, no, I just don't feel well. Well, interestingly with pneumonia, it's similar. As they age, the sensation of dyspnea being short of breath decreases. So they might be tachypnic. They might look awful and they can't tell you that necessarily they're short of breath. And so it's very similar to MIs where they come in and they have atypical symptoms. So they don't give you your hints. The chest x-rays, which a lot of people think, oh, they're coughing, chest x-ray, just like you said, maybe it's pneumonia. Unfortunately, the chest x-rays are not always accurate in older adults. They also have a million things that could cause their shortness of breath or they're not feeling well. You know, they have COPD and they have heart problems and all of these other things that could cause the exact symptoms that they just told you they have. Mm. And then a lot of our rules that we follow just don't work in older adults. Think about things where there's an age cutoff, 50, 65, depending on the rule where they just all of a sudden are out of it. So it's just a hard diagnosis to make. Yet it's a really important diagnosis with a lot of morbidity and mortality associated with it. So we're thinking about just like with MIs, where older adults may come in with what we deem atypical, but really it's not atypical for older patients that can be very typical for them. It's atypical because we have been taught classically that you know, pneumonia is cough and a consolidation on the x-ray or ACS is chest pain and a troponin or EKG abnormalities. When we think about diagnosing pneumonia, is there any set of diagnostic criteria that we can then agree, okay, that is pneumonia and that is not, or is it more of a gray area with nuance? 
So it's a gray area is the best answer. If you look at all of the different guidelines out there, there's no universally accepted definition, which makes it really hard. You know, you're a resident, you're trying to learn what is pneumonia and everybody gives you a slightly different answer. All of the existing definitions have some combination of usually a chest x-ray, none of them truly go for CT yet, and symptoms, cough, shortness of breath, things like that, fever. But when they looked at all these different chest x-rays, there was recently a paper that looked at all of the ones out there. There's not a single definition that was adequate to rule in or rule out pneumonia with the likelihood ratios that you would want um, as a physician, which makes it really hard. There's not even a good definition to go by. Well, there's our first problem. <laughs> no wonder it's so hard to diagnose pneumonia if we don't have a good definition. Plus then add on the symptoms that maybe we'll, we'll call it, instead of calling it atypical, we'll call it less specific. So just coming in and saying, I feel weak. I don't feel myself. Grandma's not acting herself. She's having more trouble getting up the stairs. Well, then you have to figure out, is it a pulmonary problem or a musculoskeletal problem or a neuro neurologic problem? And then the other thing that you mentioned is thinking about the overlap of other potential comorbidities. I'm thinking, I like to think in Venn diagrams or equations, most everything in life can be boiled down to a Venn diagram or an equation. And so the Venn diagram of their symptoms that they might have with pneumonia, there's a ton of overlap with their COPD or their, their CHF. But one thing you mentioned that you said almost every guideline has is a chest x-ray. So tell us about how good are chest x-rays and how reliable, reliably can we use them to make this diagnosis? So there's a lot of reasons that in the emergency department, that initial chest x-ray you get when they walk through the door can be misleading. The first thing I think about is that they're just nonspecific or there's no findings on the chest x-ray in the emergency department. You know, we've all seen the radiology read, no acute lung findings. Unfortunately, the patient will sometimes develop the typical changes that you expect, you know, that nice low bar pneumonia, but it will be delayed and seen once they're an inpatient. Wouldn't it be nice if we could see the future, right? In fact, there was one study where 41% of patients that had a negative chest x-ray in the emergency department later developed that evidence of pneumonia on chest x-ray. One thing that can cause this is dehydration. So when you rehydrate them and you get them back to their hopefully normal volemic state, then that's when you get that nice fluffy picture on chest x-ray. So sometimes we do the work that helps the inpatient team actually make the diagnosis. The other problem is that some of these patients will have had pneumonia or something else abnormal in their lungs recently. And in older adults, there's some studies that show those abnormal findings that infiltrate will be on their chest x-ray for as long as a month. So if you have somebody who's even on like the normal span, this could be a new pneumonia. Is it the old pneumonia? It's hard to tell. And you don't know what to do with that. And for good reason, because how do you know for sure what their path has been and what that chest x-ray is going to do? So also there's just age associated lung findings that can make it more difficult. So the patient that has a chronic infiltrate, has a mass, has those nodules that, you know, you don't know what to do with and often don't have to address as an emergency physician, but now they're causing you trouble. And finally, just in general with chest x-rays, the inter-rater reliability among radiologists is poor. One study had it at only about 78%. So when you put all of these things together in a population that doesn't come in and say, I've had a fever and now I'm coughing, it gets really hard to know what to do with that chest x-ray that could be normal or maybe a little bit different from what you expect. What do you do with it? Is that because that's their normal or is that a new pneumonia? 
It sounds like I'm hearing both reasons for false positives, such as lingering consolidation or other findings that are kind of incidental, and then also reasons for false negatives that they will develop that infiltrate that will make it easier to to diagnose, but not until the x-ray fluffs out when they get hydrated. So kind of false positives and false negatives, as well as the just inter-rater reliability challenges. Given all of that, how well or poorly do we do in the ED at diagnosing pneumonia? And I'd be curious to see what is the gold standard that's used in those kinds of studies. The gold standard is a great question. So what studies have done for pneumonia and other infections like this, where there's not a perfect gold standard, is they use chart review by expert physicians. Usually that's not just me, an emergency physician, it's home critical care, it's cardiology, it's infectious disease, it's geriatricians, it's people who run the span of what could be causing their presentation. Because perhaps a cardiologist would think something very different than a pulmonologist, just because of their expertise. So that's usually the gold standard. When you use that as the gold standard, and of course they have access to everything, their chest x-ray today, their chest x-ray tomorrow, their chest x-ray when they follow up in one week, the misdiagnosis rate in the emergency department is about 27%. Um, and that's from one of my earlier studies. What we found is that the overdiagnosis leads to failure to consider alternate etiologies. If you think it's pneumonia, but it's actually pick anything, right? AFib with RVR, hopefully you don't miss that, but something else causing their symptoms, then there's actually momentum. And so the inpatient physicians go with what you said, they trust your reasoning, and then it gets lost for a long time. But underdiagnosis is also a problem. If you don't give the patient antibiotics for their bacterial pneumonia, they get sicker. And that of course leads to problems down the line. When you look at diagnostic uncertainty. So, you know, we diagnosed pneumonia, but we weren't actually sure, or we didn't diagnose anything because we weren't sure. What we found was that there's diagnostic uncertainty in about 31% of these patients, but it wasn't always communicated to the inpatient team. And unfortunately for these patients, our misdiagnosis and our uncertainty in the emergency department in other studies that I can't take credit for, but I love because it emphasizes why this is so important. It actually leads to increased hospitalizations, longer lengths of stay, higher costs, and higher morbidity and mortality. So it's really important for our patients that we figure out a way to do this better. And we have the potential to make a really hopefully positive impact on patient care. Yeah. And it's certainly not to say that oh, we miss it all the time because we're bad doctors, but because of the reasons you said that they may just not have manifest those findings on chest X-ray yet, or maybe it did seem like this was from their AFib with RVR, but they also had pneumonia because you could have more than one thing or the pneumonia tripped them into AFib with RVR. And there certainly can be that pressure to, well, if you're gonna admit this patient, what's the diagnosis? Why are we admitting? And so saying, okay, well, pneumonia, uh, and then once you've started that momentum of we're giving antibiotics, well, now we need to finish the course. So being willing to assess and reassess once they're inpatient and say, you know what, actually, I don't think this is pneumonia. I think it was purely the AFib with RVR, or I don't think this is AFib with RVR. Now their chest X-ray is fluffed out. I think that it is more of a pneumonia. One of my collaborators, who's a pulmonary critical care doctor, and I had a phone call actually about another study just this week. And he was talking about my chart reviews for my most recent study. And his exact words were, it's really hard 
He said, it's much easier when they're sitting in my ICU and I have a CT scan and I have multiple chest X-rays and I have cultures and I have their bronch. He was like, when I looked at your guys's data and what you deal with, he goes, I realized how hard it is down there <laughs> to figure out what's going on. And he's a great doctor. He helped train me when I was a resident, but it was very validating to hear them look at what we have and say, oh my goodness, no wonder you guys aren't always sure. No wonder we can't. And you're like, welcome to our world. <laughs> Making critical decisions with limited information is, is what EM is all about. I'm curious, at, you know, how much does it matter in the ED or how often is are our choices then influencing downstream care? So about three quarters of pneumonia cases in older adults are first treated in the emergency department. So that means they come through us, we make the diagnosis, or maybe they make it when they get the chest x-ray with the pretty infiltrate. But we touch three quarters of these patients on their way to the hospital. And there's good evidence to show that the decisions we make and kind of what we set in motion impacts their inpatient care. So the potential effects that we mentioned earlier are things like inappropriate antibiotics given if we're on the one side where it's like, well, I don't want to be late. So let's just give them just in case there are side effects. These patients can get C. diff. They can get resistant infections down the line. We all know that those side effects of antibiotics are real. But then if you delay the antibiotics, you're on the other side of the spectrum, right? Now I could have a bad effect because I didn't treat them early enough. Not to mention all the sepsis metrics that I'm sure you're getting emails about at your shop if you don't give the antibiotics fast enough. So there's a lot of competing things here. And at the end of the day, we all want to do the right thing for our patient. And sometimes it's hard to know what that is. And that's probably one of these cases here. It is such a great example of the damned if you do and damned if you don't, that if you do give antibiotics and it wasn't pneumonia, then, you know, you can, people can complain that you're just giving unnecessary antibiotics. And if you don't give antibiotics and they needed it, then the downside is sometimes worse in terms of, yes, you get the emails from the sepsis committee saying you missed sepsis in this case where, you know, in all honesty, they may not have been manifesting sepsis at that time. It may have come to light later in their ED stay or in their hospital stay. So help us through this rock and hard place, this conundrum. What should we do on our next shift when we have as we inevitably will, an older patient who may have pneumonia. So I think my biggest takeaway for what to do on the next shift is express your uncertainty. Don't be afraid to tell your colleagues to write in your note, however you're talking to the admitting team or the outpatient doctors, that you're not sure and why that is and why you made the decision that you made. And that way they can sort of pick up where you left off. And if they say, well, they were pretty sure because, you know, the daughter said the cough was new or the patient said maybe they had a fever, but we don't have that pretty infiltrate yet, or they don't have a leukocytosis. They can keep looking. They can get the repeat chest x-ray in the hospital. They can follow them up as an outpatient um, because sometimes you just saying, I'm not sure, but this is what I was thinking can make a huge difference rather than your admitted diag admitting diagnosis being pneumonia. The other question I get a lot is, well, should I just get a CT scan? Is it better than the chest x-ray? And I love this question. And it's actually one of the parts we added to my new K is to get a CT scan on everybody and try to answer this question. There is lots of evidence that CT and chest x-ray don't agree. We did a study here looking at 
cancer patients, which are a whole different ball game, but similar to older adults, they have a lot of reasons that reading their imaging is hard. And what we found on that chart review, so patients who clinically had both for some reason, which makes it biased for a couple of reasons, but 77% of patients had a clinically significant finding on CT, but only 37% had something on x-ray. So there are differences and maybe we do need to get more CTs. In one previous study in older adults, well, primarily older adults, there were some younger adults as well mixed in with pneumonia. When they had both a CT and a chest x-ray, 58% of those patients had their diagnosis changed either to pneumonia or not pneumonia based on a CT. But those weren't all comers. For some reason, that emergency physician thought they needed the CT in addition to the chest x-ray. So what we really need is a study that looks at everybody. Everybody gets both, and then we see what was useful, which is what we're going to do in my K. Something else to think about, and I tell my residents this when they say, can we just get the CT, is there are downstream effects. You're going to increase your length of stay. There is some radiation, although not as much as there used to be. So we really need more evidence before we know if that's the answer. So I wonder if where we are headed from what you're saying is maybe not necessarily developing strict criteria for, yes, this person has pneumonia or they don't, but criteria for who needs a CAT scan and who doesn't to clarify. And I wonder if it will fall out kind of how rib fracture, I think about rib fracture CTs, where if it's not going to change management and I don't, I have low suspicion, I'm not going for a CT scan, but we know that the x-ray similarly and the CT scan with rib fractures is often very different. We just don't see them on x-ray. And so that may help, or in this case, ruling out pneumonia. If you can really say, okay, this is just pulmonary edema, or this is a mass that we know was there before, then now we can stop those antibiotics. I think you read my K. (laughs) How have, I'm curious, as you've been doing this research and you've been telling people about it, how has it been received? Are people interested, excited, threatened, concerned, overwhelmed with just, this is too much ambiguity to deal with? Yes. All of those things happened. (laughs) Most of the physicians we work with have been very interested in this. We actually survey the inpatient physicians if they get admitted as part of our survey. So these are inpatient doctors who aren't used to hearing from the ED research team. And most of them have seen our survey and been like, oh, this is a really good question. Because I don't know, like if you ask me what the definition is, I can kind of give it to you, but there isn't one. We have had a few say, I know how to diagnose pneumonia. This is a silly question. And we try to educate them and hopefully we'll prove them wrong with time and we'll get them on board. But luckily, you know, as I mentioned earlier, our study team is multidisciplinary. And so when we have had those curmudgeons who say, I don't need help, I know how to do this, we've had people in their own department advocate for the study and help explain to them. So even the skeptics are willing to help us with our surveys and things like that. So hopefully other places are just like here at OSU, where even if initially you're like, but I think I can do it, you're willing to look at what the literature says and if we have a diagnostic algorithm of some sort or a CT algorithm down the line, hopefully they'll um, adopt it. Yes, and and having a, a algorithm or a scoring system that always makes it more concrete. 
if we can say, hey, they are a three out of four on the, yes, I need a CT scan for this patient who might have pneumonia score. Don't name it that. That's a terrible name. <laughs> then, then I'm going to get a CT scan. Oh, and one of the other challenges that we've, we come across is in older patients, either cognitive impairment or delirium. And we've talked about delirium before and some of the causes and looking for it, et cetera. But how does that play into this diagnosis of pneumonia specifically? Oh, it makes a hard diagnosis even harder and more vague. What we found, because when we collect our data for the studies, we collect data from the chart and directly from the patient. But if they're altered or, you know, whether it's acute like delirium or they have dementia, they can't tell us, collateral is huge in research and clinically. So we call family members, we get them to the bedside, however we can do it and get information. And what we found in our studies, of course, you know, we have a whole research team, but I think it parallels clinically very nicely, is that about a quarter of our patients were enrolled via legally authorized representative, and they're the ones that fill out the survey. In our last study, we enrolled 135 patients, and in only one of those cases was somebody not able to tell us what had been going on. So somebody knows about these patients. Somebody knows if they're coughing. Somebody knows if they've not been eating well. You just have to find them. And our social workers are amazing detectives, and very rarely can they not find us somebody who can answer those questions. It's going to come up. We've all seen those patients, and we kind of go down that algorithm then, but find somebody who knows them. Usually you can do it. And then let's say we have done our best. We've gotten collateral. We've examined the patient. We've asked all the right questions. We do think they have pneumonia. What should we be thinking about when deciding on a disposition? It's like the million dollar question in the older adult, right? Are they safe to go home? What I can tell you from all the previous research is regardless of who did the study, approximately 80% of these patients get admitted to the hospital. And it's for a lot of reasons. Maybe they're short of breath and they're, they need oxygen. Maybe they can't walk around. They can't do their ADLs anymore. One thing that we found and we have not published yet, so this is breaking news in our recent study, is that when they come to us, like when they hit your front doors, before you have that chest x-ray, before you have the labs, before they've gotten sicker, at least 50% of them have a decrease in their ability to perform their ADLs, which is much higher than I think I thought about initially. Because you think about the deconditioning associated with being in the hospital and the acute illness, but really when these older adults get to us, they're already having those changes. So one thing that I think about is ask the patient, how are you doing at home? And then ask the family member, because sometimes it's the family member in the room that says, mom, I don't think you can even make it to the fridge. And it's questions like that, that we don't always remember to ask because we're looking at the chest x-ray, we're looking at the oxygen saturation. And sometimes it's those simple tasks that are really important. Well, Katie, this has been really helpful for me to think differently about pneumonia. And I think some of the take-homes that I've been jotting notes about and will take home are, for some cases of pneumonia, the diagnosis will be a slam dunk. They'll come in with a fever, shortness of breath, and infiltrate on their chest x-ray. We know we need to still look for other causes, like did this then trip them into a COPD exacerbation also, or AFib with RVR also, but we can confidently make that diagnosis, treat them, and admit them to the hospital. 
With other cases, it's going to be a more challenging diagnosis because there are not clear criteria. Patients may have false negatives in their chest x-ray or their false positives, or they may just have nonspecific symptoms. They may just not feel well. And so we want to avoid premature diagnostic closure to say, oh, yes, this is definitely pneumonia when it's actually COPD or vice versa. And we should be vigilant to consider pneumonia, even if they don't have the classic fever, cough, infiltrate on their chest x-ray. And I liked what you said about being a detective to get to the bottom of what's really going on and how well are they coping at home? Can you walk to the fridge? Can you walk to the bathroom? And finally, my favorite thing you said is to express uncertainty, to avoid conveyor belt medicine. Conveyor belt medicine works great when you have a clear problem and a clear solution. If I know you have a hip fracture and I know I can get you quickly through the conveyor belt of seeing our orthopedist, our hospitalist, getting to the OR, getting to PT, we know that then you have less time in the hospital, you have fewer bed sores, less pneumonia, UTIs, et cetera. But when there is diagnostic or treatment uncertainty, then that conveyor belt doesn't really work. So expressing to the inpatient team, hey, I think they may have pneumonia, but I'm not totally sure. Or I think this is all COPD, but there could be an underlying infection. It's really hard to tell right now. This is something that needs to be reassessed, repeat the chest x-ray and see how they look in the next couple of days. Any final thoughts or things you wanna share? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Hopefully everybody gets to learn something from this. And hopefully uh, in a few years, we'll have an update. We can improve the diagnosis and make it easier for people. Thank you, Katie. Wonderful to talk with you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of GEMcast. You can connect with me on Twitter with the handle at GEMpodcast. You can also navigate over to gedcollaborative.com for more resources on the care of older patients. Thank you.